Amen. One day is coming. A glorious day. Andy, thank you and Kim for leading us and instrumentalists for leading us into, into singing today as we have worshipped our God through singing and as we continue to worship this God through hearing his word to our hearts. This morning I would like to speak to you about the ascension of Jesus Christ. In some denominations, um, the ascension is remembered by having an ascension Sunday, a celebration uh, in a year's calendar just as Christmas and Easter. Now, there is nothing in Scripture that commands us to celebrate this event just as there is nothing in Scripture that commands us to celebrate Christmas or Easter. We do it, uh, but even though we don't celebrate uh, Ascension Sunday, uh, Ascension is a very important aspect of the gospel message, even though we think very little of it. We delight in the news of the, of the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. We delight in the news of the death of Christ, God, Christ paid for our sins. We delight in the news that Christ had resurrected from the dead, conquering death and sin. We delight in these truths of the gospel, but equally delightful should be to us His ascension. I encourage you to open Scripture to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 9 through 11. It's a surprisingly short text to read for us at Park Hills Baptist Church. And that's because we'll be focusing today on the ascension. Chapter 1. Verse 9, if you're reading, uh, using a Bible provided in a chair in front of you, uh, this passage may be found on page number 944. We encourage you to open the Bibles and follow along the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Here is the Word of the Lord for us. I'm reading from the ESV translation. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in the preaching of God's Word. Most gracious Father, we thank you for the revelation you have given us in Christ and for the way you have provided multiple eyewitnesses of the events that have transpired during Jesus' life on earth. As we have heard a proclamation of these words, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would bring these words and the message of these words to our hearts in fresh ways. Speak to us, O Lord. We want to see, we want to hear Jesus. We pray for the Holy Spirit to bring his words to us. Amen. Friends, I want to ask you a question. Is the ascension delightful to you? of all the things, religious things you delight in, and all the truths of the Bible that delight your heart, is the ascension 
that kind of truth that when you think of it, you delight in it. Why would anyone fight, find delight in the departure of a dear one? Who would find delight in departures? Who likes saying goodbyes? Well, there's at least one category of people on this earth that I think like departures. Teenagers who rejoice when their parents take off and they get to spend some time by themselves. Right, teenagers? I know it, none of you here in our church ever would do that. I, I know. It's just others out there. Uh, we get that. Um, we live in, the, in, this, in this 20th century, 21st century, in the 20th century phenomenon of, of the culture of teenagers and uh, the culture uh, generation gap uh, between teens and the rest of society. Um, it's not hard for us to imagine that teenagers would not would delight in the departure of a dear one. But when we think of Christ's departure to the Father, how many of you think it'd been so nice? It'd been so nice if Christ would have stayed on earth until the end of the age. Think with me. How nice it would have been if Christ really would have not gone up and you had stayed around. Christianity would have been spread perhaps even bigger and wider, more effectively. Think with me for a moment. How many of you think that if Jesus would actually show up physically to our church for a few Sundays in a row, how our church would really grow leaps and bounds? I mean, people would just show up to hear Jesus. Not me, not others, but Jesus. So we might be inclined to say, dear Jesus, why did you leave? What a setback for the news of the gospel, right? Sometimes we tend to think that since Jesus left, all we are bound to have here on earth is a second-hand experience at best. And yet, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He said where two or three are gathered in his name. He's there among them. He's present. He knows our thoughts. He knows when we think of lunch during the service. He knows when we think of our plans after the service instead of seeking to focus on Christ. He knows when we're browsing the internet on our iPhones or checking email or texting rather than seeking to engage with the living God who is among us. He knows when we have an evil thought about someone else in the service. And instead of asking for repentance and cleansing and love, He knows when our hearts engage in attitudes that tear down our spiritual fellowship. Friends, Christ ascended to the Father, but He is not gone. He's here. When we take the gathering of the saints lightly, He's here, even though we might not be here. When we give up on gathering together, as the book of Hebrews talks about, He knows. There's nothing special about the walls of this building, but our fellowship together, our life together as a church forms the temple of God where Christ is present. He's here. 
Christ is in the place where believers gather. Don't be fooled by his lack of physical presence among us. Don't limit his impact only to what he can do when he's physically present. Christ is present where believers are gathered in his name, whenever they gather in his name. We don't just miss church. We miss the presence of Christ gathered, present with those who gather in his name. God determined the plan that Christ should return to the Father. God did not make a mistake. This was not supposed to be a setback in God's plan to evangelize the world. It's our misguided assumptions that lead us to think that it would have been so much better if Jesus had stayed around. It would be so much better if Jesus would show up to our service physically. Whatever you think of Christ's ascension, don't think that he is gone in the sense of absent or far away. When we think of, God, of Christ's ascension, we know from John's gospel how the disciples first received the news that Jesus would return to the Father. Their hearts were troubled. How could they rejoice? How could they find delight in this event? So Jesus, prior to his death, told his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. And to his death, um, he went, he resurrected, and now in the book of Acts, after the resurrection, the disciples hope that Jesus would restore the kingdom. They hope he's here to stay. He overcame death. He's here to stay. He's going to restore the kingdom. This is going to be a glorious day. But Jesus goes. He leaves. He ascends. Quite frankly, I have no idea what was going on in the hearts of these disciples. I have no idea what was going on in the, in the hearts of these followers of Christ. They have seen his resurrection from the, death, from the dead. They're hoping he would restore the kingdom, but instead he's going, he's returning to the Father without, without fulfilling their expectations. I don't know what was going on in their hearts, but I do know what and how Jesus wants us to respond to his ascension. It is with delight. We're supposed to respond to the ascension of Christ with delight. You say, where do I get that from? From John chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus said to the disciples before he died, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. The ascension of Christ calls us to delight in what has happened on that day of ascension. But why? Why should the ascension be a delight to us the answer is because it reminds us of a few biblical truths. And I'd like to point out three of these biblical truths from the book of Acts. The first biblical truth, why the ascension should be a delight to us, is because of the physical reunion to the Father. Because of the physical reunion to the Father. I want to remind us of what Jesus went through before he was, uh, before he, or as he was crucified, before his death. As he bore the penalty of our sins, one of his cries on the cross was, 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which interpreted means, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friend, let me, let me put a pause here. For those of you who are new to, the, to Christianity, for those of you who are just checking out the Christian message, there's something here that you must understand that I want to pause and make sure you get. Our sins separate us from God, our Creator. Christ came on earth to restore that separation, to bring us back to God, our Creator. He died for our sins in our place because the wages of sin is death. Jesus died in our place on the cross. But before he died, before he gave up his last breath, his cry was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried that because that's what our sins do to us. They separate us from God. But this time on the cross, it was Jesus, the Son, the only Son of the Father, who was now separated from the Father. That's what Jesus has done to bring us back to God. That's why the only way back to the Father is through Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to Him, to turn to Him, to repent from our sins and trust in the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Oh, friend, if you are not right with God this morning, I plead with you, I pray that you would consider to this news of the gospel, this offer of the gospel, this command of God to turn to Him through Christ. If you'd like to know more about that, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. But on the cross, Jesus experienced separation from the Father because of our sins. He died. He gave up His last breath. But His life did not end with the crucifixion. His life did not end with death like our life. Three days later, he resurrected from the dead to show that he was able to conquer death. He was able to break the power of sin. And at his first appearance after the resurrection, when he shows up to Mary, Mary's looking for him in, in the garden at the tomb. He's looking for him, and he can't, she can't find him. And Jesus shows up, calls her by name, Mary. And Mary turns around, and she realizes it's Jesus. And, she, and Mary runs to Jesus to cling to his feet, to hold him, to hold him tight, not to let him go, not to lose him again. And do you remember what Jesus tells him, tells Mary, do not cling to me. Do not hold on to me physically. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? The first message Jesus wanted to pass on to his disciples is that he is physically reuniting with his Father. Jesus resurrected from the dead, not to be physically with his disciples. Jesus resurrected from the dead so he could return physically to his Father. That's why Jesus wanted his disciples to know 
from, day, from the day one, from the first day of the resurrection, that the ultimate goal of his resurrection is his physical ascension to the Father. And this took place 40 days later. The ascension is not a setback in the gospel plan. The ascension is an advancement of the gospel. The plan of salvation prepared by Christ, by God in Christ, is moving forward through the ascension of Christ. Even though Christ died and resurrected, his return to the Father still had to happen. And this is what Jesus told Mary. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared many times to the disciples. He appeared and disappeared multiple times, but the ascension is a way of telling them, this is it. No more ad hoc appearances. This is the last time Jesus will show up to them. And this time, he's not vanishing from their midst. He is being taken from them. And this physical relocation had to be seen. How else could the disciples preach with confidence about where Jesus went if they had not seen the ascension? They had to see with their own eyes that Jesus indeed was taken up physically. For these disciples, they were eyewitnesses to this event. For them, the ascension, it was not an act of faith. It was an act of sight. So that those who later would hear their preaching could believe based on what they have seen, that Jesus had physically resurrected from the dead and had physically ascended to the Father. That's why when Luke in three verses speaks about the ascension, he refers five times to the verbs of seeing. If you look at these verses, five times Luke makes a big deal about looking, about seeing, about gazing. Why? Because in the ascension, there was something to be seen. Why should this be a delight to us? Friends, because the Christian faith is not just a matter of spirituality. The Christian faith, our faith, actually affects our bodies. The physical ascension of Christ reminds us that God is not interested only in our hearts, only in our spirits. God's salvation affects our bodies. Yes, for the wages of sin is death. But once we are rescued by the blood of Christ, our union with God will be not just in our spirits, but in new, physical, resurrected bodies. So why is the ascension of Christ a delight to us? Because it's a reminder of the physical reunion with the Father. When we die here on earth, those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who have been born again by the Spirit of God, our spirits go instantly into the presence of God. But that's not an ideal situation. The ideal situation is to be in the presence of God, not just with our spirits, but with our bodies. That's why the resurrection day is such a big deal. We will have new resurrected bodies. And it is with those new resurrected bodies that we will actually be reunited with our heavenly Father, Jesus, 
His ascension is a token of what we will experience, a physical reunion with the Father. That's why it should be a great delight to us. A second reason why the ascension should be a delight to us is because Jesus is placed in the highest authority. Not only a physical reunion with the Father, the second reason is Jesus is placed in the highest authority. When the disciples um, gazed, kept gazing into heaven, two angels appeared to them, and they confirmed where Jesus went. They said, This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven. Now, up until now, when Jesus showed up, appeared and disappeared, these disciples had no idea where he went when he, sh- when he disappeared. But in the ascension, the disciples hear verbatim, word for word, clearly where Jesus has gone. He's gone into heaven. Chapter 1 does not tell us the details of what Jesus was going to do in heaven, but when you turn to chapter 2, Peter's first sermon, he tells us more details about Jesus' ascension into heaven. So turn the page to chapter 2 of the book of Acts and look for verse 32. Look at what Peter preaches about Jesus and about God, about his salvation, about his uh, resurrection and ascension. Peter says, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. How amazing that Peter compares David and Christ in regards to the bodily ascension. It was not David who ascended, but Jesus. And what did Jesus ascend to when he ascended into heaven? Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father to sit on his throne, as we see in the book of Revelation. By his ascension, Jesus is placed in the highest authority in all the universe, sharing the throne with God the Father, and the pouring out of the Spirit will be proof that Christ has been ascended to the Father. By the way, Peter, when he quotes that that Old Testament prophecy, he goes back to Psalm 110, verse 1. When he compares David and Christ, and that verse, Psalm 110, 1, is the most quoted verse of the Old Testament in all the New Testament. You know what this means? That the ascension is the most quoted prophecy in the New Testament. The ascension is the most quoted prophecy in the New Testament. That's how huge, that's how important the ascension is for us as believers. And yet, how little we think of it when we think of the ascension of Christ, we should think of Psalm 110.1, of the enthronement of Christ to the highest authority in the universe. And this truth should bring us great delight. Christ's ascension to heaven is not an abandonment of his disciples. It's not a setback in the spread of the gospel. It's really more like an advance in that plan. Ephesians. We've read from the book of Ephesians earlier in the service in chapter 4. We, we read that when Christ ascended on high, 
He ascended to fill all things. Earlier in that book, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, hear what Paul, how Paul speaks about the ascension. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he, namely God, exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Why is God placing Christ over everything, giving authority over all things? Why? For the sake of the church. That's why we should delight in the ascension. It's not that Jesus, had he stayed with us, the church would have been a better shoes, better, better, better fit. No way. Had Christ stayed around and not been exalted to the highest throne, we would have been worse off. That's why we, the church, should exalt, we should praise, we should think about the ascension of Christ and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father. Think of a captain of an army. Jesus, as a captain, takes off, not to escape the battle, but he goes up to the mountaintop from where he can see the entire battle. He goes to the place from which he can direct the battle. He goes to the place from which he can send resources for the battle. He goes up to God's throne to receive the promises of his Father, to send the Holy Spirit. And that's why we cannot get Pentecost without understanding the ascension. Pentecost is not a passing of the baton. So that the Spirit does what Jesus left undone. No, friends. In the ascension of Christ, Christ goes up to the throne of God to receive all authority in heaven and on earth so that through the Spirit, Christ himself can do the work that has been given to him. The power of the Spirit that will come on Pentecost is a power under the authority given to Christ. Remember how Matthew ends his gospel? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then go, the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. This is how Matthew ended his gospel. Yes, that Jesus who ascended to the Father is still with us. His word has authority to speak and call people to the Savior. Our words used by God's Spirit have the same power to call people to Christ and it has the same kind of power as if Christ was literally physically speaking to those people. Those of you who remember the gospel call those of you who remember when you were called, what was it that made you respond to Christ? I hope it was not just an emotional appeal. 
I hope it was the call of Christ you heard through some feeble words of a preacher or through some feeble words of another friend who spoke the truth into your heart or through the reading of, of the word and somehow those promises just sank in and it felt like, oh my goodness, this is real. I am hearing a call. It is as if I have to do something about this news that I have heard. Where does that authority come from? Where does the presence of Christ come from? It is through the Holy Spirit, but it's the Spirit that brings the authority of Christ so that through our feeble words, we actually get the authority of Christ. What a delight this should be to our souls. Love how Spurgeon said, His ascension is not a retreat, but an advance. Our captain has advanced and has been seated on the throne of the greatest authority so that our mission on earth can be done with his authority and with his power. What a delight this is for our souls. The authority of Christ is now able to accompany our words, our witness, when the Holy Spirit uses his words and brings that power with it. Friends, the ascension of Jesus gives us every reason to go into the world and to be his witnesses because he has taken the seat of ultimate power and authority. And that authority is delegated to the church as the church proclaims the word of Christ. So friends, when you think about not having courage or not knowing how to turn a conversation from just superficial talk and how to lead the conversation to some questions or some truth of the gospel. Think of this. Whatever you say, as long as it's faithful to the scripture, whatever you say, there is a power that you don't have. There is a power that you cannot fabricate. There is a power that you cannot muster up by your illustrations, by your, your, your wise explanations. There is a power that can come into your very words that comes from on high. It's a power of the authority of the exalted Christ who has been seated at the right hand of God. There is no higher power that exists in this universe. So when you simply speak his words with faithfulness, when you ask a simple question, believe, trust that the Holy Spirit brings that authority of Christ into those words. So people might actually hear the power of Christ speaking to them. Believe that. That should give confidence. That should give courage and boldness as we think about our witness. It's not your apologetics. It's not about you having all the answers to all the objections. It's foolishness to think that our cute, smart answers could actually turn someone to Christ. It's the authority of the ascended Christ that makes the gospel go forth. But there's also a word of caution. You cannot delight in his ascension if you don't delight in his authority. You cannot delight in his ascension if you cannot delight in his authority. Actually, those who are still living apart from Christ, those who have not yet embraced the call of Christ to be their Lord and Savior, 
to have Jesus as authority over all things in their life, those who are still enemies of Christ, whether they're aware of it or not, for such people, the news that Christ has ascended and been placed to the highest throne of authority, such news is terrible news. You know why? Because it means that the guy in the other camp has been given absolute ultimate authority. There's no way to overcome him. There's only one way for us of escape, joining his camp. So that day when he returns, he won't find us as enemies of him. So why delight in the ascension of Christ? Because it is his physical reunion with his Father, a token of our physical reunion with him. Rejoice and delight in the ascension because Christ has been placed to the highest authority in heaven. Third and last, rejoice and delight in the ascension because of the promise of his physical return. The angels confirm not only where Christ is physically located now, but they also confirm that Christ will return the same way they have seen him leave. Men of Galilee, verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The angels remind the disciples something which they knew already. This is not news for the disciples. Jesus has told them in John chapter 14 before his death, I'm going away. I'm going to the Father. But don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm coming back. I'm coming to take you back with me. So this is no news, new news for the disciples. So then what are the angels really saying when they're telling them this Jesus whom you have seen going to heaven, will come back. What are they saying? Jesus ascended into heaven as he reminded the disciples of their mission. Remember what verse, nine, uh, verse 8 says? When the Holy Spirit will come, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus ascended now into heaven and the disciple and the angels remind the disciples he's coming back he's coming back not just for judgment although that is true he's coming back and his return puts more fire under our mission as his disciples you see if jesus had given the commission as a go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth and that's it. Whether we do it or not, might or might not be that big of a deal if Jesus is not coming back. But if Jesus is coming back, his mission to us is a mission with accountability. The return of Christ puts fire underneath our seats, not only for those who are apart from Christ, it puts fire underneath our seats for those of us who are his disciples entrusted with his mission. He is coming back. Therefore, we should witness not to him and about him, not only about the one who died and resurrected 2,000 years ago, we should be his witnesses as the one who is still to come. So when we evangelize, when we talk about Christ, we should talk not only about historical facts of what happened 2,000 years ago, we should also talk to people about the one who's coming. 
His coming should put fire underneath our witnessing. I love how John says about this. There's something fundamentally anomalous, anomalous about their gazing up into the sky when they had been commissioned to go to the ends of the earth. It was the earth, not the sky, which was to be their preoccupation. Their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. The angels remind the disciples that Christ will return. Therefore, what Christ commissioned them to do is of critical importance. David Peterson, in his commentary, says, The missionary activity of the early church rested not only on Jesus' mandate, but also on his living presence in heaven and on the sure promise of his return. Yes, the missionary activity of the church rests not only in the fact that Christ is seated in heaven, but also on the truth that he's coming back. If Christ is coming back, and he is, our mission is even more critical because he will ask us, what have we done in regards to our witness to him? That's why, dear friends, our primary responsibility as a church is to equip each member to witness about Christ. His return also affects the way we witness because we witness about something that is still to come. We witness about the coming Christ. That's why in the book of Revelation, when God is described in the book of Revelation, he's described in three tenses, the God who was, the God who is, and the one who is to come. Not the future, but the one who is to come. The greatest truth we can tell people in the news of the gospel is not just the truth about the cross, not just the truth about what Christ has done for us on the cross to redeem us, to restore us, to rescue us, but also the truth and the promise that he is coming back. Friends, Acts is a story of what happens because Christ has been exalted at the right hand of the Father receiving all authority in heaven and on earth, and because he, this Christ, will also return. It's a picture of God's people between his ascension and his return. So we need to hear, as John Stott says, we need to hear the implied message of the angels. You have seen him go. You will see him come. But between that going and coming, there must be another. The Spirit must come, and you must go into the world for Christ. This is the challenge of the ascension for us. It's a challenge for our witness. It's a challenge for us to remain witnesses to the one who died, who resurrected, who ascended into heaven, and who's coming back. Oh, glorious day. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we praise you for the power you have given to your disciples, to your followers, to your church, the power to witness to you, the one who has all power in heaven and on earth. Oh, gracious God, we pray that you would continue to encourage, equip, fulfill your church with power, with the power that comes through the Holy Spirit, so that we might witness to you, the one who is all-powerful, the one to whom an every knee in heaven and on earth shall bound, the one who will come on, on the clouds, 
the one who will come with power, with authority. But until that day happens, Lord, we pray, would you give us the power now to be witnesses? Would you call people to the Savior? Would you call people to yourself so that we might join all of us the camp, the battle of our almighty, all-powerful, all-authority-given Savior? It is in his name we pray. Amen.